Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, just a word of warning. mess, aren't you? I'm not very tall, either. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Good afternoon. It's 1,000 degrees. Welcome to Bums on Seats. If you're listening live to us on Saturday, or you might be listening to us on Sunday at 2 o'clock, Lord knows. Anyway, we have Lorcan with us today. Hello. And Vicky. Hello. And... Mark? <laughs> you had to think about that, didn't you? Yes, it, it is I, Leclerc. Mark, no, Mark came back. And Dave. Hello. Dave off of Monday's film quiz. Go and see Dave at the film quiz. They're not that difficult. They are. They're horrible. Um, we're going to chat about Toy Story 4 today and Murder Mystery and In Fabric and Yesterday. And as well as previewing Apollo 11, we have a super fun interview that Julian off of breakfast did with the director and you might have missed it on friday morning if you don't get up at 7 a.m so we'll play it for you again let's go to a toy story 4 trailer though and i hope there's none of the creepy dolls in this because i hate them woody we have a situation i am not a toy i was made for soup salad maybe chili and then the trash <gasps> buzz we've got to get forky affirmative Why am I alive? You're Bonnie's toy. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. Huh? What? Oh, yeah. <sighs> Bonnie? We're going home for you. Kids lose their toys every day. I was made to help a child. I don't remember it being this hard. Woody, somebody's whispering in your ear. Everything's gonna be okay. So, famously, Toy Story was always going to be a trilogy. Everyone said that. Everyone was okay with it. It's come crashing back with a fourth film. Does that fit, Lorcan? Well, uh, firstly... um this is the worst thing ever. It's disgusting <gasps> that it exists. Why? And I would Why? be embarrassed if there's a Toy Story 4. You tricked me. You did not tell me you were going to say that. But <laughs> having said that, it is actually quite fun and funny. I think it's okay. just that on principle, I'm just annoyed. Um, uh. There was a lot, and at the start of the film, there's a lot of things that happened that um, worried me. But okay. now, as the film went on, um, it was uh, legitimately, legitimately really fun uh, and funny. Um, the animation is shockingly good. There are some, it, there yeah. are certain uh, shots that are genuinely like photorealistic. I thought it was a real street sort of the yes, scene. Yes, like the, the whole antique was... shop. Um, but overall, like the, I think it was advertised. I think the advertising put a lot of people off because it was like this new character, Forky. He's like, oh, it's Forky's here. Forky's here. Who's Forky? Yeah. And it just looked like a rehash of Toy Story One, where it's like a new toy comes in and but they're battling for affection. Tony Hale from Arrested Development. I thought he did a, a good job with that. Every, all the voice acting is fantastic. Yeah. And the film turns out to be much more about Woody. Uh, Forky's just kind of this like lovable character, this legitimately well animated, clever character that just. As a, acts as a catalyst for Woody's plot mainly. Yeah. Um, overall, I thought it was really great. Um, I'm, I'm still kind of annoyed because now you've got Toy Story 3, which is an okay story and a great ending, and now you've got Toy Story 4, which is actually pretty great and a really bad ending. <laughs> if oh, only they could like find some way to end. sandwich them together. So I liked the ending, but I am... Um, is anyone else 
cynically dubious of the fact that this isn't going to be the final Toy Story film. I, I think they will possibly make them forever uh, because they already talk about spinning some of the toys off into their own little adventures. And, and I'm sort of mixed about that. The quality of these four films, I do think the original three were the greatest trilogy of all time and they have ruined it. They've, they've stopped it a trilogy. Uh, it's going very Douglas Adams with the increasingly likely level of trilogy in this. And, uh, you know, so if they can keep some level of quality up, then I'm never opposed to another one. But I do wonder how many times we need to revisit this this particular universe, not least when there are 20 different Pixar universes that have been created and, and so many fantastic stories to be told in them as well. Um, Is this... We're giving people a chance who weren't maybe our generation and didn't grow up with this to come back and revisit all these brilliant characters. Because like Lorcan said, it's not just about this new Forky. It's really um, a bow and a Woody story. So we're, we're revisiting these classic characters that we love very much. That being said, I went back to this hoping it was going to be playing to the gallery as in me being the original viewer. Um, but I don't think it did that properly and I don't think it was exciting and jazzy enough for new young kids to enjoy. So it just didn't really... I don't know where it was sitting. It wasn't clever enough for adults and it wasn't simple and fun enough for kids. No, it was quite clever. <laughs> all, the, um, all the toys that are showing up in the film, they're not the toys of the generation that are children right now. It's entirely different. So it's all these kind of classic antique toys. Like we know that Woody is a toy from the 50s, from uh, Toy Story 2, I think it is, where he's kidnapped by an antique dealer. And most of the action in this is also set inside a antique shop where there's the villainous Gabby Gabby who maybe... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ashley's a bit scared of dolls. If you're scared of dolls, maybe don't go <laughs> see the film. Gabby's with... not the worst doll, though. That's the main problem. Yeah, she's got a little <laughs> army of ventriloquist dummies who, who kind of do her bidding as well. But um, it is great. They, there's a new character introduced as well as Forky. There's also Duke Kaboom. So fantastically voiced by Keanu Reeves. Keanu is back at it. With the Keanuing, <laughs> yeah, but it was the, so he he's this kind of classic wind-up toy that I remember from when I was a kid still. So they're still pulling in the references for all of the people from our generation who saw the original Toy Story, but we're in an antique store. So <laughs> we're not that, kids anymore. Yeah, and yeah. So was <laughs> was that soul crushing for you, Dave? <laughs> I, I I think the the biggest problem for me now is because there's been four of these films they're running out of space into which to put the characters without making it an 11-hour Lord of the Rings epic. Buzz wasn't really there, was he? You don't get much buzz. You don't get much of the of the other characters from the original. Uh, admittedly, they, they tried to steer away a bit from, from Don Rickles, uh, Mr Potato Head, because he passed away a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. But, but, but they wrote him back into the... Th was it the third one or this one? Where uh, they used his voice This This one, acting. where they used yeah. his previous performances. Uh, but so you, so you get not... They did an Oliver Reed on him. You get not much buzz. You don't get any aliens that I can remember, the little cute aliens from oh, the first yeah. film. Mr. Pricklepants, Timothy Dalton from the third one. It, it just gets a couple of lines at the beginning. Uh, so, so there's there's now too many characters in this universe. It almost needs a sort of, uh, you know, like a like a a sort of 18 rated TV drama style cull of, of or, or like the end of Game of Thrones, just everyone being bumped off. You Spoiler. Know, toys, <laughs> toys, toys with fluff being pulled out left, right, and centre, just to try and thin the herds down if they're going to try and do it so again. Maybe they are going to do a Marvel then, and you'll end up with Bo having her own film and the horrible dolls having their own film and all. One thing this um, this writer does really well is he doesn't talk down. Uh, Josh Cooley doesn't talk down to kids, and there's there's a lot of life lessons and a lot of heart in this. And I I think I got that coming through, albeit a little more obviously than some of his other work, like Inside Out. So did you, Lorcan? Did you follow a particular 
Uh, oh, Vicky, you've seen it as well. I have seen it. Oh, wicked. <laughs> Come on in. Did you follow a particular deeper thread of a story through this or did you just think it was here's Woody here's Bo here's a new forky guy here's some creepy dolls fun 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 I feel like um, for me as a child I think Bo Peep was one of my favourite characters Mm -hmm. because like she was this really gorgeous like figurine and I related to her like because she was really girly when I was younger and then like in the third one when you don't see her character and uh, I was really disappointed. Dark day like, for I f- Vicky. <laughs> I felt it, like, deep in my chest. And so for her to, like, come back, I'm really excited. I love how they've extended her, like, storyline and everything. Um, but I do feel like this is one of... Um, I-, I might just see this as, like, a seasonal, like, film or, like, just an add-on. I will okay. always keep the original trilogy, like, intact. Okay. Does, so Lorcan was incensed by the fact that there is a fourth film. Did mm-hmm. did you like, were you a huge fan of the first three? Is that why you hate this so much? Or were, were you never really sold and you're just thinking, why are we back here? Again, I don't, I don't hate the movie. I, I, hate the <laughs> fact that, I hate the fact that there is a fourth one in general. Like, um, they've done the best they can to justify a fourth one. But like uh, like Mark said about like they're planning on maybe having like spin-off movies. This feels like a spin-off movie that bizarrely has the original characters in it. Though all, though not all that much, um, and something that really, something that really annoyed me at the very start. Um, there's an opening sequence that plays more like kind of Toy Story, the animated series, uh, and then yeah, that was weird. It was just kind of, it's just kind of random, and then like I it's like it's that. raining, and then the camera pulls up, pans up above the clouds, and it's like the classic like uh, cloudy wallpaper, and the music yeah. starts playing. And you're expecting Toy Story Four to come up. Instead, Disney Presents came up, which really ground my grits um, <laughs> because it's kind of like you know there's a you know there's a really emotional montage coming and it's like Disney saying who never made Toy Story saying uh, oh burn yeah oh, um, <laughs> oh this lovely nostalgic feeling you're about to have brought to you by Disney oh so yeah that was the kind of worrying stuff at the start I felt oh but that. like I say I think the the original trilogy is really great I do have some issues with the third one I think it's mostly a retread of the second one in kind of strange little ways um, like I say this is the most original story since the second one, probably. Maybe even the first one. Um, I love what they do with the villain, because the last two have have had the same thing of, like, cuddly characters introduced, but you you know it's a villain, but you're not supposed to know it's a villain until they do something villainous. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, straight off the bat, you know Gabby Gabby's, yeah. like, on the... You are off-kilter, yeah. friend. Yeah, I don't like her. But what did we think, speaking of introducing new characters, everyone's going mad for Ducky and Bunny. What did, did we like, Ducky and Bunny? So this is... Uh, Keegan Michael Key and Jordan Peele, so that was that felt like it brought a really fresh new angle to this old cutesy, not Disney film of of lovable characters, voices like Tim Allen and Tom Hanks, very safe, nice national treasury white men. So, what did we think of? Uh, Ducky and Bunny, did they fit well? I thought they were like a great addition. They sort of brought these voices like to the kids today. Like their humour was very relatable to like what people would watch like on YouTube for a laugh or something like that. Um, yeah, they were. They did remind yeah. me of like teen YouTubers. They were yeah. just doing stuff for the crack. Exactly. <laughs> but um, the same thing, like to be honest, I kind of forgot about their characters a little bit. Like I don't think they were the main bunch, but I do like the addition of them. Yeah, no sure. And what about Dave? Music? Were you happy with the music? Randy Newman. 
Yeah, he's a genius, isn't he? I mean, he's he's done all four films. He's got the same kind of easy melody that flows throughout. But I, I was the only thing that disappointed me was the lack of the Beach Boys because that's so prominent in the trailer. And I thought if that trailer, comes yeah. on, I'm going to cry my eyes out. Maybe they couldn't afford it in the actual film. They only bought it for the trailer. I think, uh, it, yeah, but it made me cry then because they didn't use it. it. That's entirely the reason I was crying in the cinema. No other reason at all. It, no, no. If any <laughs> aspect of the soundtrack is off, Dave Riley is not going to enjoy this film. Well, it's looking at two hundred. $150 million so far. How long has it been open? Has it been open a week? Uh, yeah, it opened last weekend. Yeah. So, uh, and it's uh, the, the most successful animated film opening of all time uh, worldwide. Uh, so it broke Toy Story 2 and 1. And 3. Three, three was the record holder in the UK. Oh, was it? It's broken oh, three's record. Oh. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they, they, they made £13 million UK opening last weekend, nice. which is astonishing. Uh, if there's one thing Disney needs, it's more money. <laughs> yeah, because they, they clearly, you know, looking, looking fairly broke after after Avengers Endgame didn't do that well. <laughs> That's the one. I mean, I, I, I think the other thing I would just say about this quickly is that mm-hmm. the, the animation is stunning. Uh, that, that They're not resting on their laurels. The, particularly that open sequence that we mentioned where, where it's in the rain uh, it, it looks almost photorealistic in yeah. certain points, and they've tried to, to the push... point where I was worried. I was like, "Don't put characters in in real life situations. Don't just dump animated characters in it. I'm going to hate this." I thought it was real. Yeah, because there's there's one point where you see a cat that's been pulling toys apart. It's in the trailer. I'm not spoiling too much by saying that, <laughs> but but the, the, for a moment the cat looks like a real cat, and then it turns and you see it's got a more cartoonish yeah. face. They, clearly, they are still trying to push the boundaries. The the other slight disappointment I will say about this is that for the first time since the original Toy Story, there's no animated short at the beginning you just get the film uh, and they, some of those animated shorts on Pixar films have been brilliant so I hope that's not a tradition that's here to stay I hope they still include those they're little animated shorts they're going to make you shorts. buy the DVD for that you know what these guys are like um, probably <laughs> 600 deleted scenes and, and you know, 4,000 4, spin-offs of, of little characters already <laughs> fully formed before we even get to the next and one all of the above and Bo rocking the trousers she looks like that one off of that film what was she Alicia Vikander when she was married to the guy who was transitioning the actor I hate the Danish girl that that's the one. So yeah, never has a pair of trousers been worn so fabulously by a female character on film. It's a certificate you, Toy Story 4. It's everywhere in town, it's at every surrounding Cineworld, and it's going to be everywhere for probably another month at least, throughout into the summer. Bums on seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. And if you don't want to have to actually leave the house, which I don't like to do, and it's insufferably sunny like this, doesn't match my personal brand, you can sit inside with Netflix. And here's another huge opening, actually, Murder Mystery. This is supposed to be the biggest Netflix original opening of all time. Let's have a quick listen to the trailer. Did you notice anything out of the ordinary? There are many But we didn't do this. Someone's trying to frame us. We do things together, so can we please just figure this out? It's just like death in the library. What happens in death in the library? They died. That's why it's called death in the library. You guys are all over the news. They say you killed someone. Do you think that's possible? We're trying. Shoot at him! Those were warning shots, honey! We're gonna do this. We gotta look confident. Boom. I love you, that was sweet. Look what you just made me do. Oh no, is Taylor Swift in this? Or is she just doing, okay, thank God. Well, this is Murder Mystery, um, Netflix's biggest grossing opening, if that's actually a real thing. I have no idea how they work that kind of thing out because it's just a subscription service. Um, Only girl reviewer, hi Vicky. Hello. 
this looks like a rom-com to me. Mm. <laughs> so I'm going to come to you for the rom-com question. Is it a good, is it Nora Ephron rom-com or is it the other end of rom-com, which is bad and boring and dull and fluffy? Uh, To be honest, uh, there's not a large rom-com element. It's sweet, but it's definitely Agatha Christie for Netflix. Oh. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Good sell. So is it it that clever and sort of multi-layered? I would say it's more like uh, relaxed, uh, trashy viewing, but but with like a feeling of, you know, um, what you're getting, but also it surprises you. I was pleasantly surprised by this film. Um, you didn't guess what was happening, none of that. I hate it when you sit down. To be honest, I, down d- I did for... not. <laughs> I, um, no shade. I didn't get Sixth Sense. I didn't get Dust Till Dawn, so don't worry about that. <laughs> I honestly, um, I didn't know who it was. They. I feel like the characters are so there and so in your face. You think it's everyone at one point. And okay. It's why it could be. Like um, They don't delve too into the characters, and because of that, um, you just are so confused at who is actually committing the mm-hmm. crimes but I sort of really enjoyed that. Okay. Yeah. So did did anyone else get annoyed that we didn't really delve that deeply into who everyone was? Were, did, were they everyone a little one-dimensional or were you did you get why they were doing that? I was just getting amazed every time the door opened and there was another famous face behind I'm it. I'm just looking it was, at the cast list. The casting is brilliant. I think my favorite one is probably uh, there's an uh, Icelandic bloke Oliver Dari Olafsson mm-hmm. as Sergey Expetsnats. He doesn't speak. Until he does, uh, which happens an awful lot in the film. It's like, oh, they don't talk. Two minutes later, they're probably talking about something to someone else. But it's just a, quite an eclectic bunch of people. Yeah. I think they're all having a lot of fun. I don't think I had as much fun as them, but it's got its moments here and there. Uh, Any time one of the murders happens, the ensuing chaos, particularly the very, very first one, was like, don't take the knife out the body, no! <laughs> <laughs> Murder it's in the trailer. From it's Dave fine. Friday, everyone, <laughs> quiz seven, picture house. You'll be safe. Um, we have Terence Stamp here as well, which is that I'm so glad to see him back. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert Wonder. Did anyone stand out for you, Lorcan? Was it really the Adam Sandler Jennifer Aniston show, or was this a real ensemble thing? Um, I think. I mean, I, to firstly say I did enjoy the film, but I think Adam Sandler's mastered the art of turning a vacation into a crowd-pleasing movie. Um, he That sounded like shade. Was that shade? <laughs> it was a little bit of shade, but he can afford it. Um, I, to be honest, Jennifer Aniston, I love seeing Jennifer Aniston in anything. She always, I don't know if she's like trying really hard in everything she's in or if she's just naturally just I think really she's very likeable. underrated. She's very really likeable. Mm. She just, um, and she does a lot to kind of save the film. I think uh, Adam Sandler looks quite tired and fatigued. <laughs> the opening scenes of this movie were pretty atrocious and like, yeah. I, he just looks tired. I can only imagine. Is he like, doing his Adam Sandler voice or is he in his normal voice? He's just doing his normal voice. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> but um, like like Dave said, I think everyone's having a good time. It's directed by Kyle Newichek, who um, I know him from. He's a director and star of Workaholics, which I'm quite fond of. And he also did a, a movie for Netflix with the same crew as Net, uh, Oh, and Community. I love Community. Yes, he, he's done some Community. Okay. Um, I think it looks better than most of the kind of Adam Sandler vehicles. Um, I think I think Jack and Joe was probably like the dark phase of just him being in movies that don't look like movies. Um, but, <laughs> They're just uh, Adam Sandler 
conservatory buying vehicles, basically. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and they're b- bizarrely written by James Vanderbilt, who wrote Zodiac, one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah, and Independence Day. Just kind of silly things <laughs> after that. Yeah, that's weird. Um, well, maybe, say, so you think he's sold out, the writer's totally sold out. I'm, well. not gonna go that I'm reading I underneath. I don't know how this script started out or how it ended <laughs> or uh, what the origin was. Um, and I will say, uh, I thought it was uh, funnier than Booksmart, whatever <gasps> that's worth. Right, Ooh. this is why you... Right, stop. You weren't on that show, you've missed your chance. I was on that show, well, leave, I just didn't watch it in time. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. <laughs> how can you not like books? Right, we're not getting into this because he wants me to buy it and I'm not going to buy it. Um, does anyone know how they work out that this is the biggest opening for a Netflix original? I don't understand how that works if it's a streaming service. Oh, some kind of algorithm. Mm, yes. Yeah? <laughs> just say algorithm and we'll just nod our heads. Yeah. That's absolutely fine. It's So, does anyone else have anything actually deep and dark and wonderful to say about it? Or is it just a pretty good caper for Netflix? Would Would this deserve to have a proper cinema release I would not go see it in the cinema no, no. I would not either yeah. okay. however um, there's a character called Juan Carlos and he is amazing in it <gasps> well yes. we'll look out for Juan Carlos he's in Charlie's but Angels just in case the, the new one the new one oh. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a trailer for that and I don't want to go see that but anyway oh that's how they figure it out it's literally sat on my screen in front of me they figure out that it's the biggest opening Netflix because in the first three days nearly 31 million accounts watched the film so that's 31 million people with not a lot to do. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's Murder Mystery. What certificate is it? I reckon it's probably... Does it even matter on Netflix? Oh, it's saying it's a 12. That'll be all right. Is it all right for kids if you want... Yeah. It's yeah, Vicky says fine. So letters, <laughs> letters to Vicky, studio at cambridge105.co.uk. Um, we're going to switch pace now because Julian Clover off of Early Breakfast got an interview with Apollo 11 director. Um, so he had a chat with him about Actually, space in general, as well as this film, and I'm really interested to figure out how this only second-time director got hold of so much previously unused footage from the moon landings. What do the Apollo moon landings mean to you personally? Well, I think they're the greatest achievement of human history. Um, You know, so many people came together to accomplish this, but uh, it represents the first time that we left low Earth orbit, uh, that we spread our wings into the universe, uh, that a human being for the first time set foot on another world. Uh, And I just think uh, a thousand years from now, people are going to look back, um, if we're still here, uh, and and think that uh, it was uh, just uh, the most amazing accomplishment that uh, humans had done up to this point. And what brought it to your attention? I, I say that because were you actually old enough to have seen any of the events live? I was not. I was negative seven when we landed on the moon. Uh, but I was a product of the, you know, the space shuttle generation, uh, and I enjoyed that immensely, uh, watching all those missions. Um, but uh, I did grow up uh, in the, the same part of the world as uh, Neil Armstrong and, and John Glenn and uh, the Wright brothers and, and other astronauts. So I certainly had a fascination when I was a kid uh, with, uh, you know, the Apollo project. That's interesting. You put the Wright brothers in that in that bracket, but I guess they kind of were really. Are, are they growing up? In, in America with the, the history books, do you feel that Armstrong and his contemporaries are, are, are given the hero status that they, that they deserve? I think so. Um, you know, uh, 
we were just in uh, Zurich last night uh, with uh, a lot of the Apollo guys, uh, including Buzz Aldrin and um, and others. Um, and uh, it was, I mean, it's a mob scene. Uh, you can't <laughs> you can't walk down the street with those guys, let alone be in an auditorium. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I feared for my safety many a times. <laughs> so if that's any litmus test, um, I think that uh, you know the the public or at least their fans really appreciate them. Okay, so let, let's talk about the film which is on at the Arts Picture House this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Cambridge. What made you start, embark on that project? Because heck of a load of work to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, um, but it was fun work. Uh, we started with a, a short film uh, that kind of became a primer of sorts uh, for what would become Apollo 11. Uh, but that short was um, just to uh, uh, do um, a similar uh, narratively structured film about Apollo 17. Uh, and shortly after we finished that, uh, and this was uh, uh, the, the back end of uh, 2016, um, we, uh, my, my, archive producer uh, who's based in, in Sheffield, England, um, uh, just kept, you know, uh, uh, after me about uh, this anniversary that was coming up, the 50th anniversary. And that was really uh, the impetus to, to start uh, looking at the archive and see if there was anything new there. Uh, and we already had our connections uh, with NASA and the National Archives. Um, so we just challenged them uh, to, to try to quantify exactly how much material was out there. So uh, the mission itself spanned uh, eight days and some change. Uh, so that was um, really nine days. Uh, so we just laid out a timeline. And we just wanted to know every single thing, uh, every every frame of material that happened, whether it was film, video, uh, audio, uh, even the still photography uh, that the astronauts took. Uh, we wanted to just lay it all out and see where the holes were. Um, and in doing that, uh, the National Archives had informed us uh, in their research that they had come across this uncatalogued um, uh, large format collection. Uh, and then it was just a uh, we were a victim of circumstance that the post-production facility facility that uh, I've been working with for a long time was getting into the film scanning uh, business, uh, deploying some new technology. When a lot of companies are getting out of it, everything's digital now. Um, so uh, they um, built a prototype scanner to be able to handle all these materials. Uh, there was only one on the planet. It was developed uh, uh, specifically for this project. Um, and uh, we started uh, the process of, uh, of scanning those materials. Um, and right around the same time, we were also given access uh, from NASA to uh, 11,000 hours of uh, Apollo 11 uh, mission control audio uh, that was um, never before heard before. So uh, we had to kind of research all of that and, and sync it and, and clean it up and, um, uh, and then uh, weave that into the story we wanted to tell. I've been lucky enough to see a few clips on a big screen of the film. It looks beautiful. It's a very, very special quality to it. But the film is 50 years old. You're processing. How did you manage to achieve the look as if almost it's like an episode of Mad Men? Yeah, it's it's really the artistry of not only um, uh, the preservationists uh, that that kept this in cold storage over the decades, uh, but also um, my post production facility, Final Frame. Uh, they have an office here in London and, um, and an office in New York, where I'm from. Uh, and they, um, uh, it was you know, uh, for, we really 
flew under the radar for three years uh, working on the on the project, but the restoration work that they did, all the technicians, uh, it's just absolutely extraordinary. Um, and it, it, it's a real testament to um, uh, not only them, but but also the people that shot it, the cinematographers that shot it at the time. Uh, it, it's it's really extraordinary, and I. I um, I think people think we're crazy, but uh, all of us uh, that participated in the project, I mean, we go to every single screening. I'm so excited it's it's an IMAX here because uh, I haven't seen an IMAX in uh, like a few weeks. Um, so I'm itching to get back in the cinema and watch it. And is it contemporaneous? Do you literally tell the story from start to finish? And if that is the case, I think it is, is it difficult for you to actually tell the whole story because you don't necessarily have the right piece of film at the right time. Yeah, one of the things that always frustrated me uh, just in whether I was talking with the astronauts or their families working on the project or reading books. Uh, Michael Collins uh, uh, wrote a, a tremendous autobiography in 1974 called uh, Carrying the Fire. Um, and there's scenes depicted in there that I had never seen depicted in a, a fiction or a nonfiction uh, film before. Uh, so it was working with them. Uh, you know, there's there's one scene in the film where um, it's called the Translunar Injection Maneuver, which is NASA's fancy way of uh, of saying they're going to basically light the, the candle to go to the moon after they're in uh, Earth orbit. Uh, but the Apollo astronauts experience that um, on the dark side of the Earth, and they all witness this amazing uh, sunset that happened. Uh, and uh, Neil Armstrong uh, on the onboard audio says, we're crossing the Terminator, uh, meaning the, uh, the imaginary line on the Earth from uh, the dark into the light. Uh, and we didn't, they didn't shoot it on Apollo 11, um, but we we had the opportunity uh, to get it from another Apollo mission and then show it to Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins and and say, is this what it looked like? Is this right? Um, and and uh, get it as accurate as humanly possible. And there's several scenes in the film uh, where, where we did that. And, we, you know, uh, luckily we had the opportunity to, to work with them and, and to get it as accurate as we could. Would you fancy going into space yourself on one of the on the private ventures, which are beginning to happen? Absolutely. In fact, I just, um, I wanted to tell, we just got a Stephen Hawking Award uh, in Zurich uh, yesterday with Elon Musk and, and Brian Eno, and uh, I want to tell Elon Musk, sign me up on the next mission. What was the Stephen Hawking Award? Obviously, um, he was very well known in this city, of course. Yeah, and I, you know, uh, it's a shame because this is the first year where he hasn't personally given it out, and he was such a hero of mine, um, but I was honored. Uh, Paul Franklin um, uh, presented us with the award, uh, who did all the um, special effects for, you know, Christopher Nolan's films, Interstellar and the Batman series. So, uh, and to share a stage with Brian Eno and, you know, the... Uh, Brian Mann and, and you know, and, and uh, all the great Apollo astronauts uh, was, was a real thrill. Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. Jesus, that was loud. I didn't expect that to be that loud. Anyway, welcome back to Bums on Seats. We've got Dave and Mark and Vicky and Lorcan with us. You just heard a brilliant interview with... Uh, oh, I can't do anyone's names today. Early Breakfast Julian Clover, that's it. Um, and the director of Apollo 11... All of us have actually seen this film now. So someone was mentioning, what's the other great one with the cute Ryan in it? First, First Man. Gosling. <laughs> Does, is this as much of a ride as First Man? Is the story lost because it's, it's sort of found footage, documentary style? What do we reckon? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it is classified as a documentary. It's incredible all the work that's gone into 
kind of finding all this footage, restoring it, editing it together to create like um, a clear linear timeline, mm. uh, adding music and a couple of helpful animations just to guide the viewer through like certain maneuvers that are happening during the mission. Mm-hmm. There's very much the mission beginning to end. Um, but I, I personally can't really call it a documentary. I don't think there's enough there to justify it is it's archive it's very well put together archive footage okay. um and uh speaking as someone with a degree in astrophysics there were moments where i was a little surprises and secrets from Lorcan. um there were there were moments where i, I kind of found myself phasing out like even though yeah. it's obviously like the most the greatest achievement of mankind and I was just, I, there was a point, like, despite how beautiful it is, despite how good the music is, despite how good the sound is mixed and synced with the visuals, I'm not sure there's quite enough there to engage general audiences for, even even though it's only an hour and a half, I found myself dwindling. So personally. do you mean there's too much science-y? I, I think there's just, there's, there's maybe just not enough content to keep the average viewer engaged maybe there's a lot of um sort of shots where it's like half darkness because you can see what like the cutoff window what like the astronauts actually looking through um it's either like buzz or michael collins Mm -hmm. and so yeah there is like half window shots where you can sort of see earth but i really some parts of it i just didn't know what i was looking at half the time but it maybe have worked better on tv then were you expecting a bit too much because you're looking at it on a big screen but or would it be maybe totally lost on a on a I feel tiny like TV I screen. did appreciate seeing it on the big screen. Um I was really I feel like when it started um and they were in the space station, I was completely absorbed into the time period of like what it was. Um so it was in the sixties and it was Yeah, Julian like, was saying it looked like an episode of Mad Men. Yeah, yeah. It's like the people look so H D and like mm-hmm. um they're great. Like the the restoration of the footage in particular is so well done, and that's what I really appreciate about, about this film. And the hues of color that they've captured on seventy mil is incredible. But at the same time, where, while they're in space um, and they are, the eagle is landing, um, I definitely that is the part where I drifted, and it's meant Ooh. to. And they brought and that's me back. The climax. I know. And they brought <laughs> me back with this great um, intense music, and it, but maybe they did that on purpose because they knew that this was the point in the film where people were like in a lull. Right. Dave, music guy, is Hi. it is it artfully laced in or do you think they're using it to pep you up a bit for what might be a bit of a thin story-wise film? I thought, I thought it was, you know, really good music, but at times it felt a little too overpowering and it may be for that reason that it was okay. trying to kind of wait. Because I, I also, I hit the same lull as The Eagle Descends. I don't know if it's my brain just kind of going, yeah, you know, they make it, they walk on the moon and everything. <laughs> so you know, Spoilers already. Have a <laughs> I mean, part, part of me is like, oh, this is really clever. This must be how tired they were actually feeling while they were descending to the moon because they're, what, six hours, six days Relentless. into a mission at that point. They've slept standing up in zero gravity mm-hmm. there's a bit where they're talking about how they sleep in the capsule on the moon i didn't realize they actually stayed on the moon long enough to have a nap and stuff but my uh buzz Aldrin's just like i just curled up on the floor and neil made a hammock <laughs> it was just like what where, were they on the moon <laughs> so there is some new stuff or is that the only new thing is this is it maybe a bit boring because you know everything and there's really nothing new you're figuring out from this 
I, I think there were a few things that I didn't realise. Uh, I think anyone who's seen Apollo 13, the Ron Howard film, will know a fair amount about this, and I don't know how much more it adds than that, or if you if you were generally aware uh, of that kind of experience. But odd things like the the fact that they, they the number of times they orbited the Earth before they can then slingshot out towards the moon, mm. I, I sort of probably knew somewhere in the back of my head, but hadn't realised. And actually, the the little graphics are quite good in bringing out those those details. I think some of the bits of footage you've not seen before, the one that struck me the most is actually when the first separation of the rocket occurs because you see the the classic shot we're all used to of that shot from inside of the, the previous section falling away and the earth is in the background. But there's a shot where you see what that separation look like, looks like from the ground and it's like the whole thing has exploded. Uh, the, 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 sep- the force of the separation is astonishing and it, there are little moments like that that just catch you off guard uh, and, and, and actually bring something new to it. I, I think there is the risk that, that after 50 years we are so over-familiar with this story because we only went six times in, and actually landed on the moon in total, I think, uh, and uh, yeah, consequently, we, we've lived through those experiences a lot. And somehow, I would have liked to see little bits more of some of the other detail, like when we're seeing the people at the land, uh, the, uh, the sort of viewing site on the ground, and you're seeing some of these crazy 60s fashions that people are wearing, and yeah, the, the way that people are looking, and little signs saying the coffee is all five cents, no matter how you want it. And it's the, the, the difficulty is that there is clearly a wealth of people stories to be told here, and it doesn't tell a people story, it tells the story of man's greatest uh, achievement of, of, of going into space uh, uh, and somehow the little stories the the stories of the thousands of people who worked at nasa to make that happen you feel they're there but they're behind a pane of glass and you can't quite get at them and i think that was my my only real frustration with the film that's and what you said reminded me about um you miss the little stories i think that's the reason i liked um what was claire foy in was that first man yeah. <laughs> so that's why I liked that story so much, because I think we're, we've been saturated with space race stuff for the last five to ten years, I think. There's been quite a lot of films that tend to focus on how we got there and when we landed. And the reason I liked First Man so much was because it was about the wives and the community left behind. And I think that's something we've not seen enough of. Is this? Have we now reached peak space race now in the cinema are we do you think we're over it well there's the new neil armstrong documentary that's about to come out within Great. the coming months <laughs> so not quite yet well it's, it's good to keep in mind that it is the 50th anniversary of the moon landing which is probably why we're noticing a glut all of a sudden uh, i'm not sure oh, there's been, i'm not sure there's been like tons of space race stuff in the last 10 years or so i think it is yeah. all just building up to the 50 year anniversary really and they're just cynically taking our money who saw this in um imax by the way was it yeah, just smart. Is it? Is it worth? I never like to pay the extra for IMAX. I went for First Man actually, and I didn't think it was worth it. I mean, I, I have the advantage that I, I have one of these lovely membership cards, which means you only pay the add-on rather than actually having to pay the full price Me too, for it. and I still don't like the extra fibre. Um, <laughs> I, I would say, if you're going to see this, try and find the biggest screen possible, whether IMAX or whether a, whether a standard screen. Uh, I don't know which screen it's showing in the in the picture house, but... It's uh, mixed between the biggest screen and the second biggest screen. Yeah, so so if, if you have the opportunity to choose between your screenings, try and get to, to see it in screen one, I think. Uh, wherever you're seeing it, try and see it as big as possible. The, the, the advantage of IMAX for me wasn't so much the visuals, it was the sound, because you do get a boost in the sound with IMAX as well, and the yeah. and the, that, that unearthly rumble as, as the Apollo 11 is actually taking off, that did make me feel like I was there watching rather than just, just seeing a film. So, uh, for me, the benefits of the IMAX are as the sound as much as anything else. 
So what do we think we have in store for this director? So we have Todd Douglas Miller. This is only his second ever film. Mark, again, you're the only person who's seen his previous documentary, which is Dinosaur 13, about the biggest fossil ever found. But Well, my, my list of things I've seen in the past tells me I've seen it before, but I can't remember <laughs> a thing about it, which maybe tells you that his films are not sticking in my, my memory too much. And, and So yeah. is he more of a technical director than a great storyteller? I, I, I suspect, yeah, maybe it is It is about the, the technical detail of stories uh, and, and the best documentaries are the ones which give you an insight into the human condition as well as to, to the story they're trying yeah. to tell. Yeah, no, so. agreed. And so does this maybe fall a little short of that then? Is this not... People can't be coming here looking for a, a human story at all. At least it's not trying to tell a human story. It okay. is very in your face, like, you are going to experience Apollo 11 the best way we can deliver it to you. And they do okay. that, absolutely. Um, so at least, yeah, at least they're not, they're not, they don't have the pretense of trying to bring you a human story, which is nice. There is um, a little bit of, like, human communication there. Like, you do get some, like, wholesome American humour just from the radio communication mm -hmm. um, between the Houston Space Centre and the, the space team. And it's, mm -hmm. it's very uh, uplifting at times where you... Uh, you just have darkness on your screen and then you just hear Michael Collins coming back round <laughs> from the dark side of the moon. No, cute. So that's um, that's Apollo 11 by Todd Douglas Miller. It's out now. It's showing at the Arts Picture House and the Light Cinema in town and the light is where you can get it on IMAX if you'd like. It's also all surrounding Cineworlds. Now, another scene change. This looks ace, by the way, in fabric. This is what I'm going to go and see next. Full of people I love. Looks dark and creepy, also love. Let's listen to a trailer. A purchase on a horizon. Just looking, thank you. The hesitation in your voice, soon to be an echo in the recesses of the spheres of retail. The dress is your image, onto what you project through an illusion. I'm just going on a date. I don't normally wear this kind of thing. Be bold. Your date will compliment you. I think something's wrong with that dress. Don't tell me you're scared of a dress. Ah! The dog ripped it to pieces. Spank, spanking you almost. Such a pretty dress. <laughs> Anything nice in the sales? Just a dress. So, Vicky, that's it's it's hard to pick through that trailer and get a real sense of what kind of film this is, I think. Um, and without too many spoilers, Lorcan's left the studio, guys. He doesn't want to hear any spoilers. I hope he's not in the green room, because you can still hear us stay outside. Um, what kind of a film is this? <laughs> this is... Um Great. Uh, <laughs> you did love it. It's I did very good. I did love it. Is it so, is it scary or is it dark comedy or? It's like it's a bit thriller. It's it's just a bit ridiculous, okay. but in the best way possible. Great. So in a way, you watch it and you think this is a bit Argento like, um, a bit like Suspiria in some oh, ways. Okay. Um, he has these large gaps in narrative that make you um, and you just feel it gives it more dimension to the film but at the same time it's very much great british humor in parts like the whole sales and shopping experience in mm -hmm. the background you can hear the women murmuring like if you don't get it it's not your fault like it's your fault for not getting it and things like that okay um so it's like very much a british made film but also uh, a very like euro horror in okay. a way 
So do those, do those things sit nicely together? Is it trying to be a bit too... Because when you mentioned Suspiria, I was like, oh, really? Maybe I'm not going to like this because that's kind of a heavy watch, Suspiria. You've got to be in there paying attention down for the ride. Is this easier and lighter and more entertaining? I, I would say this is Peter Strickland's lightest film yet. Okay. Uh, if you've not heard the name, hopefully it's, it's one that, that will become better known to British audiences. Friend of the show, you say? Yeah, we, we, we were <laughs> lucky enough to get an interview with him when he was in town at the, at the Picture House for his previous film, uh, The Duke of Burgundy, which was my favourite film of 2015. Okay. And I'm always delighted to go and tell people that, uh, that my favourite film is about a lepidopterist, uh, uh, which is shot in the style of an erotic thriller from the 70s. Because that do. really makes people think something about <laughs> Me, which I'm not trying to tell them, uh, but but what what Peter Strickland is so brilliant at doing. The the other two films he's made were were Catherine uh, Varga, his debut film, and then a Barbarian Sound Studio with Toby Jones uh, yeah. from a few years ago. And so he takes all of these different influences of style and image and weaves them together, but still has a good solid story that then links it together. Uh, in this case, we've actually got effectively two stories. Uh, it's almost in the style of, of these sort of old horror films where you know it would it would be the, the curse would be passed from one person to another so right. here we have we have two uh, characters. Uh, we start off with uh, with Marianne John Baptiste. Uh, people will know best from uh, from uh, Mike Lee's Secrets and Lies, of course, back okay. in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And then it passes on to Haley Squires, who was uh, the, the the co-lead in I Daniel Blake, the the Cambridge ah. film. Uh, so so they are the two leads, and and they are very normal. They're very grounded. You know, they they are the the, the sort of average person. They're, they're not weird. Everyone else around them is completely bonkers. Uh, and uh, the, I think the highlights uh, for me, and I'm realizing I'm talking a lot, so I'm going to. <laughs> trying to look at a word in edge raise in a minute uh, is uh, the, uh, the 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 two bosses of Marianne Jean Baptiste's character who are, are Julian Barrett from the Mighty Boosh and yes. Steve Oram who people know as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also the the shop assistant, the shop where the dress is. It's it, uh, have we mentioned the fact that this is a film about a haunted dress? And if that Ooh. doesn't sell it to people enough, to I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a film about a haunted dress. And so the the the, the shop where it's sold. Imagine the the, the department store from are you being served about 20 years before, even though this film is sort of set in contemporary times. Mm-hmm. It's this weird throwback. Uh, and the shop assistant, who's played by Fatma Mohammed, is, is the one person who's been in all of Peter Strickland's films okay. in different roles. She's she's so strange. She comes out with, with incredible lines like, uh, dimensions and proportions transcend the prisms of our measurements. And she's just... <laughs> completely bonkers uh, and, and I, yeah, there's so many of these little offside characters around in which these normal people inhabit but then it is this mix of, of maybe a bit of Lynch, a bit of Argento a bit of old hammer horror, British horror, yeah. uh, a very domestic uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I think it is Peter Strickland's most accessible film as well uh, because of, of the sort of British comedy type elements that, that people will relate to. Uh, you know, if you want to see something that's genuinely different, I cannot recommend this strongly enough. And I'm going to stop Fabulous. talking now because even I am bored of the sound of my own voice after all that. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. So Gwendolyn Christie is, is listed one of the first build up here because she's currently the most famous. Is your regular old Game of Thrones Joe going to enjoy this? Not for them. Who Gwendolyn should go? Gwendolyn Christie is not playing the part she plays in Game of Thrones. <laughs> she plays the annoying girlfriend to the son of the main character of the first half. Okay. Which is... Um, Down somewhere. So, so it's Marianne John Baptiste, yeah. oh, who's the nice main character in the uh, first You half. will not like her. You, she okay. is every, I'm guessing, mother's worst nightmare. Who is going to like this then? I... 
is people, it, people who like things a bit off the wall. I, okay. you know, I, I, you know, if if you've chuckled ever at things like Reeves and Mortimer uh, or or Monty Python or other odd British humour, there's there's enough of this thrown through there. But also, if you if you like things like Dario Argento's horror films, like the the Italian giallo horror tradition of these lurid colours and and weird sound effects, or or David Lynch, or anything that's a bit bit weird um you know if you're just bored of seeing the same old story told in in multiplexes time after time yeah you're not going to see anything like this again for a while you're really not so well, i'm gonna go for it it's certificate 15 it's available on curzon but is there one chance to see it at saffron screen did you say or uh yeah it's gonna be at saffron screen on the 5th of august uh which is uh, just just down the road from cambridge and it's, yeah. a, it's a lovely little community cinema that mm-hmm. actually takes place in a school hall uh okay. but but it's got proper raked cinema seating and and fantastic projections so so if, if you fancy a little trip out uh, you are likely to see both me and Toby Miller of this parish in the audience <laughs> for that one because I'm going to go and see it again on a big screen. Excellent. And uh, yeah, do come and chat to us if we're if we're around at that one uh, so and August, share your thoughts. August the fifth. August the fifth. Saffron, Saffron screen. screen. But otherwise uh, available to stream online on Curzon Home Cinema. Great. That was in fabric. We need to squeeze in another film before we let you all go. Someone made one about the Beatles for some reason. Here's a trailer. <laughs> John, Paul, George and Ringo, the Beatles. No. Stop it. Yesterday. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Well, it's not Coldplay. It's not Fix You. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes. I'm just uh, listening to Jack's new song. Oh, yeah! What's this one called? Uh, Leave it be. Let it be. Well, rock on, Jack. Word has got out about a new pop phenomenon. Is it just you writing the songs? Yes. What is it? I, d- I don't know. I've been a fool twice over. Perhaps love isn't all you need. But it's pretty damn close. Is that as bad as it sounds? I know it's, it's, it's bad in entirely different ways. Uh, it's bad in ways that you don't expect before you go and see it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, come on. Uh, this is Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle. And and Richard Curtis. And for all, all the, the... I expect it from Richard Curtis now. Well, no, I, uh, you but... know, I'm, I'm going to surprise myself by sticking up for Richard Curtis before we get any further. Because as, as twee and as predictable as they are, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, and some of the other things Four Weddings is ace. Our British, British classics. Yeah. The Vicar of Dibley, one of the finest sitcoms this country has ever produced. And this episode of Doctor Who is, is, a, is a modern classic. So so he's capable of good stuff. And then he turns out nonsense like About Time and, and this. Oh, uh, I forgot about... I scratched that from my memory. Oh, let me let me, let me me remind you and, and give you <laughs> nightmares about About Time. But yeah, yeah, if you'll see this, you'll have nightmares about this as well. The basic principle of this is that uh, um, uh, Himish Patel is playing a guy called Jack Malik, who's a, a he's failing... off of EastEnders. This actor, right? Uh, That's yeah, where he went wrong to start with. He's one of those people that is better known as being in, in something for ten years, so people will just call him Tamwa. I'm not an EastEnders <laughs> fan, so I, this is a mystery to me. But yeah. Uh, um, I will say, before I go any further, the other thing that freaked me out about this is that Lily James' character is called Ellie, and the finale of the film is set in Galston near Great Yarmouth. And my ex-wife is called Ellie, and she now lives in <gasps> Galston. So that's why you hate it. Properly freaked me out. I, I'm not biased 
against this film by any way. I think she may be in the crowd somewhere. I think she may have been around that day when they filmed the crowd okay. scenes. But I'll look out for it if I ever see it again, which would not be by choice, I can assure you. Anyway, back to what the film's about. Uh, it is it is a guy who, who is a failing singer-songwriter, thinks he's about to give up. Uh, then there's a 12-second blackout around the world. And in everywhere in the world at the same time, it's night, which annoyed me as well. Uh, so in Tokyo, in Paris, in, in London, in, in Africa, it is night everywhere at the same time. No, it's not. It's not night everywhere at the same time. So that, that really annoyed me. And uh, I just went downhill from there. He gets hit by a bus. When he wakes up, the whole world has forgotten certain things, like Coca-Cola uh, and the Beatles and, and other random things that I won't spoil because they come later in the film. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, there's odd things. So for Those two examples may not be bad things, though, for, in for, my opinion. But, but, then, but then what you have to do, first of all, is take your disbelief and suspend it off the highest thing possible. Because th- this is a world where people, the Beatles no longer exist. Mm. So Oasis no longer exists because all they did is rip off the oh, Beatles. No, that's... <gasps> but apparently Ed Sheeran does still exist because he didn't <laughs> rip off the Beatles in any way, shape or form. This is why I knew I was going to hate it, so I didn't bother going to see it. And then Ed Sheeran <laughs> has the, the third, fourth biggest part in the film. Oh, dear. And he cannot act. He, he cannot oh. even be Ed Sheeran. He is, he is pretty terrible and you get a lot of Ed Sheeran. Oh, no. Dave, it's... This should be up your street. It's a film about music. It should be threaded everywhere through it. Does yeah, I does even <laughs> does even the soundtrack save it, or did you actually like? It? Well, I know that I know. I'm going to get this in before Mark does. There, there's no not shade. Actually as Look, much, your opinion is valid. There's not actually as much Beatles music as you would hope. There's okay. kind of montages. They do a couple of numbers, don't they? Over let, let, some time. Let, let you and I talk about this briefly. So, so your average film that comes out these days is like a jukebox musical, like Mamma Mia. You get loads of ABBA songs sung by the cast. That is a musical. It is. This is not a musical. You get 20 second clips of the Beatles songs. Yeah, you get you get a fairly nice rendition of Help that's quite angry. Is there any I've kind thought. of anniversary for a Beatles back catalogue? Is this why we have to watch this? Uh, probably, yeah, I don't know. Oh, the, the, the 49th anniversary of them breaking up. Close yeah, enough. The, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there, there's some score in there as well. Uh, Daniel Pemberton, he did the soundtrack last year for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is one of the best soundtracks of last year. Okay. And then he, he's come along here and he's done what... Um, He's done what Trent Reznor did for uh, Love and Mercy, the Beach Boys biopic, where he's taking the music, but he's fusing it in with his Is that what he won his, his Oscar for? Or no, is he, he, his... he got that for The Social Network, oh, okay. I think, which was original Older. music. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but this point, he, he's taking the Beatles. But the one thing that really annoyed me was, throughout the trailers, there, there's all this kind of advertising of the fact that he sits down at the sofa on the James Corden show and he writes something, the song something, because he's told to write something. And... Um, performs it and then it's not in the film and it's one of my favorite songs of all time by the beatles it's not even in the credits although it is listed as appearing in the film but that's because pemberton has used it to provide most of the orchestral moments and if you listen it's following the same beats and that bit's really really nice it plays in the background throughout robert carlyle's cameo which we're not going to talk about too much but that bit was probably my favorite scene of the entire film while we're on that danny boyle coming straight off T2 train spotting. how could it all have gone so wrong? Do you think he's just really mad or in a dark, weird place because he's not doing James Bond anymore? So he just he's just throwing his whole career down the toilet. I think Danny Boyle <laughs> is genuinely one of these people who's never tried to rest on his laurels and he's tried to do different things. And you look back down his CV, uh, mm. you know, and for, for, for every... Uh, train spotting or shallow grave. There's a life less ordinary, which which is yeah. That had a great song. Though. Completely, 
completely <laughs> different. And then and then you get you get you know dark space adventure in some sign, and you go to Slumdog Millionaire, and then you get a man hacking his own arm off in 127 hours. You know, he's he's never going to do the same thing twice in a row. Okay. So yeah, surely never going to do this again. I hope. I sincerely hope not. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I applaud him for for being brave enough to try and do different things. But Richard Curtis's script is so underwritten. The biggest issue I'm going to take is not with the music, it's with the relationship between the two central characters. Yeah. Because he is just a guy who sings songs. There's nothing else about him. She is a woman who is in love with a guy and frustrated that he has not professed his love to her. That's her whole character. Oh, and, now. And so, so consequently, mm. you get you get this... This, frust- this this feeling of them that they missed a chance to have a relationship, but you never get any sense of why they would have had a relationship. The film doesn't it wants you to just take that as read, and it wants you to take as read that Beatles songs are brilliant, and even some guy playing Ellen Rigby on a guitar like a rock song is as brilliant as the string arrangement of Ellen Rigby that that, that Lennon and McCartney did, and it's not. <laughs> it's not going to become world it's famous because Tamar of EastEnders is rapping out on a guitar on Galston Pier it's not going to work right, we know you hate Galston Pier uh, <laughs> Galston is lovely uh, uh, Southwold is better uh, North Norfolk Coast is brilliant uh, if you're no looking other somewhere reason. to go today after you've been listening to us this uh, yesterday is showing in every single cinema in town and every single Cineworld around the county is this just do they know they're going for the soon to be grey pound because I don't think it's people that old who are going to be going to see this but is this just a nice granny's day out my dad's hair turned grey when he was 30 he's definitely going to see this <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday's probably a fancy nice granny's day out film it's a certificate 12A it's out now everywhere you can't get away from it I'm sad to say and I'm going to play you out with a little bit of Beatles. Not by choice, but just because we talked about yesterday. I'm not the hugest fan, in case you didn't guess that. Thank you so much to Lorcan. Thank to, you. To Vicky. Oh, she's not on a mic, sorry. <laughs> Vicky is still here. She didn't run away. Thank but, you very much. Did you like the Beatles at all? No. Taste taste and decorum. Mark. Thank you. <laughs> and Dave. I love the Beatles. <laughs> Remind us again what's happening on Monday at the Arts Picture House Day. Uh, me and Simon, who used to do the show, are hosting the Picture House Quiz. It's at 7, seven o'clock, o'clock-ish or so. Rock it's up to not the too difficult. Bar. They're, they're fun, difficult. Thanks for listening to Bums on Seats. We're repeated again on Sunday at 2 o'clock, but if you missed any anything today or tomorrow check out our podcast on the cambridge 105 radio website or find us bums on seats on twitter and facebook see you in a couple of weeks goodbye <laughs>